0: Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for conversation, Stories, and Music with Rachel Naomi Remen and Karen Drucker. This episode is titled Celebrating the New Year with Music and Stories.
1: Greetings and Happy New Year to all of you. I am Kira Epstein, the program coordinator at the New School at Commonweal, and today we welcome back Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen and musician Karen Drecker for a celebration of the new year. For anyone who may be new to the New School at Commonweal, we are a program that presents conversations and performances with an inspirational with inspirational artists, leaders, scientists, and doctors among many, many others. We've been offering our programs free of charge and in the spirit of gratitude for about 15 years, well, more than 15 years now. And we have almost 400 conversation recordings on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And Rachel has been with us for a number of them. Yes, we are recording. The recordings will be posted on Rachel and Karen's Facebook sites, And on the New School at Commonweal's website at tns.commonweal.org. And on our other media sites, again, those are YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. In addition, everyone who registered for this event will get an email email from us with a link to the recordings when they're posted. So I would imagine um, that almost all of you know our guests or you wouldn't have signed up. Rachel has been medical director for the Commonwealth Cancer Help Program for many, many years, and she's joined us many, many times at the New School as well. And we're so pleased to welcome Karen Drucker back to the New School and to be able to enjoy her heart-opening music and singing here with us. And Rachel and Karen will be back with us on February 14th for a special Valentine's Day event with music and stories about love. So I'm sure to mark your calendars and register on our website for that event as well. Finally, a big thank you and welcome to you all for joining us to hear these stories and music. And we're just honored to have you with us. With that, I will turn things over to Rachel and Karen. Thank you for joining us at the New School of Commonweal. Hey, Rachel.
2: So how are you, dear one? <laughs> I am good. How are We've you? we had a morning, haven't we? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we did. <laughs> I think yeah, I think people can relate to this because you know, <laughs> being on Zoom and all the technical stuff we've all had to go through, it's like, yeah. 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 But before we start, let's just yeah, I, I want to thank Ken who's doing the the behind the scenes stuff and Kira for all that they've done for getting us here and doing this thing with us today. So thank you, thank you.
1: Yes. So
2: Rachel, tell everybody what went on this morning with you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, um, I, there's this uh, this story about the little boy who comes to school and he hasn't done his homework, you know. He doesn't have his homework with him. And the teacher said, what happened to your homework? And he says, the dog ate my homework, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, the computer ate my book. <laughs> And what the plan was, it was very simple. I was just going to put up um, stories on my computer, look at my computer, and read them to you. You know, no problem. There are no stories in my computer. The only place where the stories are are in my book, where they're in a font of maybe 11 or maybe 8. And I am going to be 85. And... What, three weeks, something like that? And I don't see very well. (laughs) I don't read that kind of a font. So I am going to read to you from the books using a very large magnifying glass. And when I do that, you will see the top of my head very, very closely. (laughs) And you'll be able to hear the stories. But this is not what we had in
2: mind. So, and life just happens like that, doesn't it, Rachel? Yes. You know, we have our plans, and then life just kind of comes in and goes, Well, no, what about this? Yes. How are you going to react to that? I mean, who like, can relate to that? You know, I mean, I think that's 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 especially, you know, when we're talking about new beginnings in the new year and you think about okay it's a new year and and i'm going to do i'm going to lose 10 pounds i'm going to start writing my novel that i've you know procrastinated <laughs> about i'm going to join a gym i'm going to you know and then like life happens and you know we're just showing up and doing the best we can don't you think that's what it is
3: there's that and there's also the way that things begin and new beginnings are usually present a long time before we notice that. Mm. And that perhaps um, the way we grow is when we notice them and realize that we've been moving in a new direction for a long, long, long time without Uh, knowing. And then we start to do it on purpose. And a lot of the stories that I'm going to read about that are about that, that... A new beginning is not something we choose. It's not like a New Year's resolution. Oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna walk a, a half a mile every day. And that lasts about three weeks. Right? <laughs> <laughs> a new beginning often looks like a loss. Mm. Often it's a discovery of something that's been there a long time and nobody's noticed. And the art of living, I think. Is to collaborate with what's already happening and recognize that the plans you have for yourself, your life, may not be as good as the plans that the universe has for you. <laughs> I love that. And all you have to do is let go and notice what is real and natural, not what you think you should be doing necessarily, but who you are and how you express that.
2: Oh yeah, beautifully said. That's that's the theme of what we're going to talk about today. All of that, letting go, the the where you know, just allowing it to be. One of the things that I'd say in a lot of my songs is I surrender to my highest good, whatever that is. I don't whatever know what is. it is.
3: Yeah.
2: But let me, you know, I'm going to sing one of those songs in a bit. But let me just to start off today with a song. Let's just just so that we both give ourselves a break because we were talking about, oh my God, we've got to be perfect. It's got to be good. You know, <laughs> let's just, <laughs> we talked about just showing up, you know, and, and to me, one of the things that is so important, I think is giving ourselves a big old break, you know, allowing ourselves. I mean, if you're, if, if we just look at the top of your beautiful head for an hour, that would be fine. You know, we just, it's fine. So let me, let me, can I sing one little song for you, Rachel? Yeah, yeah. Let me do this. All right, so you can get up and wiggle around a little bit if you want. Here's my story. It started in third grade. The teacher said, let's sing and have some fun. So I let it rip and I let it wail and she said, Karen, why don't you just hum? So for many years, I squished my voice thinking I was wrong. Till then, one day, I learned the truth. Now I'm singing this song that says, I don't have to be perfect. I'm doing the best I can. I give myself permission to be just who I am. I don't have to be perfect. I'm doing the best I can. I give myself permission to be just who I am. Now I'm standing in front of the mirror obsessing about my belly fat and my thighs, my butt wrinkles, round my eyes. Who could live with judgments like that? The media tells me daily I should be young, tall, tan, and thin. But the truth is when I accept myself, that's when I win. I say, I don't have to be, and I want you to sing with me now. I'm doing the best I can. When you're out there in the world, give myself permission to be just who I am. I don't have to be perfect, I'm doing the best I can. I give myself permission to be just who I am. Perfection's an illusion, I can't give my power away. I can lighten up, let it go, know that I'm okay. All right, it's time to blow. my outfit see now I'm older and I'm wiser I don't really care what people say if someone thinks I'm not perfect will I just bless them on their way life's too short to be judgmental Take a break and have a good time If you're struggling with this issue Well then raise your voice with mine Just raise your voice with mine And say, I don't have to be perfect I'm doing the best I can I give myself permission To be just who I am Every day I say, I don't have to be perfect I'm doing the best I can I give myself permission to be just now, I want you to sing this with me out there in the world. I don't have to be, I'm doing the best I can. Doing the best I can. give myself permission. Give myself permission to be just who I am. Sing, I don't have to be perfect. I'm doing the best I can. I give myself permission to be just who I am. Said, I don't have to be perfect. I'm doing the best I can. I Give myself permission to be just who I am. I don't have to be perfect. I'm doing the best I can. I give myself permission to be just who I am. Ta ta cha, cha. There you go. <laughs> like my little applause button. Uh-oh. So that's it. I don't have to be perfect. So now we have all that space, Rachel. Right. So we can screw up if we need to. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me put
3: a story into that space. Um, you know, new beginnings. Making a resolution. I decide who I want to be, and I'm going to be it. I decide I want to be 30 pounds lighter, and I'm going to do that. Right. Um. I don't think that's what new beginnings are really about. (laughs) New beginnings are actually often not new. There's something that's been growing below the horizon. There's something that has been changing. There's something that is presently there and usually unseen. Mm. And I have a humdinger of a story about new beginnings. It's a little long. I'm going to be reading it with Mm. my... My glass, but I'd like to read it to you. And it has to do about discovery. And you know, instead of making New Year's resolutions, it might be interesting to say, "How do I discover what really is new, and put my energy behind it?" Right?
2: Oh, I like. There's a
3: new beginning when it arises. If it's new, if it's powerful is recognized, not chosen, but re- and then chosen, but recognized. It's usually been happening for quite a while before anyone's noticed.
2: Well, it's it, like planting know. seeds, you know, planting yeah, seeds in that soil so. that you can't yeah. keep digging up the seed to see where where it is.
3: Yeah, but in this case, we don't plant these seeds. We are these seeds.
2: Oh, I like that. Yeah
3: so let me read this to you um and uh, again you're going to see the top of my head well but you know what we talking about rachel
2: tell you know everybody you can just close your eyes and remember when your mom used to read to you and you'd close your eyes and she'd read you a story everyone just close oh, your eyes
3: good <laughs> oh, yeah. so about 25 years ago a hospice director invited me to facilitate a day-long retreat on stress reduction and renewal for the hospice staff. Is this workshop for the professional staff? I asked her. No, the director said. It's for everyone that works here. The hospice occupied the whole building and more than 45 people staffed it. At that time, some hardly knew one another. And there was an unspoken but intangible dividing line between those who offered direct patient care and what was referred to as the support staff. It had been this way for years. This was a deep concern to the director. As she described the way the hospice functioned, I couldn't help thinking of the caste system in India. In addition to stress reduction, She would like every person who works at the hospital to feel that they are a valued part of a single-service organization, she told me. Perhaps you might do that in the morning session. (laughs) As she went on to talk for her goals for the afternoon, my heart sank. I couldn't think of any way to make her agenda happen, and certainly not in a single morning. But I have my resources. As soon as I could, I called Marion Weber. the the coordinator of experiential learning in the Physicians Postgraduate Program at Commonwealth. Marion is an artist who has a fine understanding of the unconscious mind and a profound intuitive approach to healing Um, um, and, and the building of community. What do you think, I asked her? No problem, she said with a laugh. It really is one organization. And everyone there is an important part of it. You don't need to make that happen, Rachel. You just need to make it visible. And that's, by the way, a very important piece of a new beginning. It's already present. We don't make it happen. We just recognize it and collaborate with it. And this is a spectacular story of that. Over the next 15 minutes, Marion worked out a group exercise for the morning session. Uh, Following her suggestion, I sent a letter to everyone who would be at the retreat, um, welcoming them and asking them to bring with them a small object from home that symbolized to them the meaning of their own work at hospice. The letter said nothing about the purpose of those objects, and a great deal of curiosity was generated. This is the best way to meet with the new, with curiosity, right? Right. A great deal of curiosity was generated. Should I? Should I tell them more? I asked Marion. Certainly not, she said. <laughs> By the morning of the retreat, I had many reservations. I had never done this sort of thing with such a large group before. There were forty-five of them. Um, neither had Marion. I felt it was quite possible that things were not going to go as she predicted. But there is a deep river of truth that runs through our daily experience. Sometimes tapping into it in the simplest ways will have profound and moving outcomes. We were not going to make something happen. We were going to uncover something that already was happening. The exercise Marion suggested was very simple. I began by asking everyone to sit in a large circle on the rug. There were about 50 people in the room. I don't believe that they had ever sat in the same room before, and people were not completely comfortable. When everyone was settled, I invited whoever would like to go first to say their name aloud and show us the object that they had brought the object that represented their work at the hospice and tell us about it and how it represented the meaning of their work to them. There was a long silence. And then a young man stood, saying that his name was John. He showed what he had brought. It was a small ceramic bridge, which he had taken from his aquarium in the morning. Holding the bridge in his hands, he told us that he had brought it because he felt that his work was a bridge between the fears and needs of dying people and their families and the healing power of the hospice. This work is important to him because his mother had died, frightened and alone when he was a teenager. Where do you work in the hospice, I asked him. I'm one of the telephone operators. He told us. The room was absolutely still. Moved. I asked him to put the bridge in the middle of this circle of people. He set it down carefully on the rug and went back to his place in the circle. Fifty pairs of eyes looked at it in silence. Something frozen in the room moved slightly. The next person to speak was a middle aged woman who had brought a crystal paperweight in the shape of a heart. She said that her work was about listening to what was spoken and what was unspoken. She said she had been trained to listen with her mind, but through this work, she had learned to listen with her heart. This had been important to her because for a long time, she had not known she had a heart. She was a social worker at the hospice. She set her object in the middle of the floor next to John's. And then person after person spoke about their objects and the meaning of their work. The things they brought were unique and varied. There was a tiny lighthouse, pictures of family members, a statue of Kuan Yin, the, Gad- the goddess of compassion, a nightlight, and a cross made out of two nails a ragged teddy bear from someone's childhood, and even a pair of newborn baby shoes. Every object reflected one of the many facets of the hospice's hospice profound work of service. People who had barely said hello to each other before listened to each other with absolute attention and respect. Slowly, something inevitable began to become visible in the middle of the room. Although they'd never seen it before, people knew it had always been there in their midst, and they were a part of it. The director had taken me aside before the morning session and told me she'd forgotten her object. She was certain that this would not matter. I think it does, I told her, and suggested she find something that symbolized her work, either from her car or from the beautiful natural setting that surrounded the meeting room. She looked at me doubtfully, but she went in search of something. About three quarters of the way through the uh, uh, exercise, she, she stood. She told the group that she had forgotten the object that she was meant to, br- to bring and had gone to find another one. The one she'd found was much better than the one she had meant to bring. It was the right one. Reaching into her pocket, She took out a rock about as big as her hand. It was very ordinary. And there was um, still some dirt clinging to it where she had dug it out of the ground. She held it up and everyone looked at it puzzled. This was a difficult woman, a very strong woman that other people saw as rigid and harsh. Right? This is what I bring to the hospice, she said quietly. It's not soft, and it doesn't change easily. It is steadfast. You can count on it, and you can build build on it. And walking forward, she gently laid the rock with its dirt down among the candles and the hearts and the statues of the Buddha. The group contemplated it in absolute silence. Something among the symbols of the hospice's work, this was truly one of a kind. But perhaps there's only one of this kind that is needed. In the silence, I could feel a sort of shift happen in the room. Uh, uh, The sort of experience that I sometimes get in a therapy session Just before somebody sees the familiar in a new and deeper way, the strength and determination of this visionary woman that others had sometimes found daunting had become the foundation of the work itself. She was their Rock of Gibraltar. At the close of the exercise, we stood and slowly walked around the 50 objects. I was lying in the middle of the room so that everyone could see them from all sides. In the elegant language of symbolism, something that had mattered deeply to everyone present had become completely visible. The objects had been brought by nurses, doctors, telephone operators, cleaning women um social workers and file clerks among others but it was not possible to tell by looking on um, at them who had placed them there were they put there by a nurse or a telephone operator or what had been added by a file clerk or a doctor in two hours people had gone beyond the divisiveness of their expertise to experience the deep unity of their shared purpose, many people were in tears. There is in all work of service a deep soul, something that has called those who participate in the work and sustains it. The experience of this can become lost in the daily, the mundane, the routine, the expertise nature of the work, But it is important to evoke it now and then, to make it visible, to make it tangible. That which sustains the work will sustain us too and bless us with its strength. And the hospice was never the same again.
2: Mm.
3: A new beginning. We did not bring something that wasn't there. We just made something visible that had been there for a long time. Mm.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. So, Rachel, one of the things that happens with Zoom is that people can comment with little emojis. So you're getting a bunch of hearts that are coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I've touched people's hearts. I'm seeing all these little hearts coming up in the screen. Oh, that's oh, lots of hearts now. That's great. Yeah. That's what you are, Rachel. Just that's what you your your writing and your being brings is just heart. Heart.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Ah, I have to sort of take that in.
3: Yeah. New beginnings. And in a funny way, a new beginning often is going back to the foundation rather than forward to something new. It is new because it, it was not seen before but once seen it's recognized that it belongs to you Mm. it's not something you're trying to become it's something you are and have not yet
2: occupied
3: Mm. yeah
2: very different one of the things i love about this time of year is that it's really the time to go within To really uncover some of that stuff that is there that in our usual time of running around and you know, all the stuff we have to do, that it feels to me like the the darkness, you know, the the winter time is just that time of the seeds are there, but it's just allowing things to just be and not necessarily do so much.
0: You're listening to a TNS presentation with Rachel Naomi Remen and Karen Drucker.
3: Well, you know, there are issues of control here, too. Mm. I mean, when I decide that I'm going to walk a mile a day for the whole next year, right? I'm in charge of that. I know what I'm doing. I decide I'm going to do it. It becomes very hard to do sometimes, but I'm going to push through. I'm going to keep doing it. And it's all about making something happen rather than recognizing that growth is the foundation of all life. It's already happening. The new beginnings in you are already happening. And often they require us to to go back to them rather than create them, Mm. to recognize them rather than create them. And then often we don't know where we're going. If, if I think about new beginnings in my life, and one of the things that's fun to do is to say, okay, what are the new beginnings in my life? I mean, what, what, what were some of the real turning points in my life? And I can tell you about one of mine. Um, I, have, uh, I come from a family of doctors, uh, nurses, doctors, uh, intellectual, brilliant people, not warm and fuzzy at all, not at all. And um, I, uh, from the from childhood, the only the only factor in my life that held me to who I really am was my grandfather, who was the father of all these intellectual people, and he was an Orthodox rabbi, mystical, a mystic. He was part of the mystical arm of Judaism in the middle of this sea of rationality and competence and what have you, which were his children and his family. And I can tell you when my life really began, right? I was sitting at my desk at at Stanford. Um, I was the first woman doctor to ever be on the faculty there in the Department of Pediatrics, and I was um, the associate director of the clinics. And I was well on my way to my lifelong goal, which was to be um, the dean of a medical school. <laughs> that was, that was, And I had been focused on this and with tremendous effort and difficulty. I've been moving towards this for many, many years. And... Um, <laughs> And my opposite number, the, the the guy who was running the uh, medical clinics, showed up in my office and he had a whole bunch of mimeograph papers in his hand. They were all different colors. Mimeograph was our way of communicating with each other in the day. And he put them down on my desk and he said, Look at this. There's this place called Esalen Institute, and, they, and it's really beautiful. It's on a cliff at the edge of the, the, the ocean, you know, maybe about an hour and a half to two hours south of here. And um, they, they want to uh, have a group of doctors come um, for one weekend a month, three, three, one weekend a month for two years and see whether or not, you know, healing has anything to do with medicine. And I remember thinking, that's ridiculous. What does healing got to do with medicine? Medicine is expertise and, and science. And, and I said, say more. And he started telling me about these free-thinking people, and they had all these different ideas about this and that. And that was of some interest to me. I had been a philosophy major. I always didn't get into medical school because my major was irrelevant to medicine. Right. Yeah, and I, you know the fact that all these ideas and stuff like this, I said, say more, and then he started talking about the hippies and the naked people and the in the bands and all this stuff, and I got it. I got it immediately. Right. I got it immediately. This was for me. I was going to do this. Uh, I had just broken up, up with my boyfriend of three years, who could not compete with my focus on on becoming a. Um, uh, the head of a, a, a department or a dean in the medical school. I mean, he just left. And I needed a new boyfriend. And I recognized this thing immediately. I knew exactly what it was. What a great way to meet men. <laughs> so I signed up. And that path led directly to the chair I'm sitting in today.
2: Yeah. Yeah. not that amazing? So the thing
3: is that my, my integrity usually has to get my attention by disguising itself as <laughs> something, something that I really want to do, right? I'm yeah. always doing the right things for the wrong reasons. So spotting what's new, what's unfolding I've learned to to recognize that something is always unfolding. We are all a process. And that where we're going may be something very different than where we think we're going. But hopefully, if we follow what's being shown to us, we're going to where we belong. Hmm. I do not belong as as the dean of medical school.
2: So when you let that go, though, when you when you actually really saw that your life was not going that direction, how did it feel to let that dream go? Because you were so attached to it. Did you have the new the new vision of where you were going? So that really. For the first
3: time, it occurred to me that I might be the right person. Mm. I had been trying to be the dean for so long. That I thought that I in order to make a, a contribution to this world, I had to make this effort to become this person who was the dean of a medical school. Right. And what I discovered was that I was the right person. And that medicine
2: itself was
3: a, 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 a
2: process. Mm. Yeah. Well, I still maintain that if I didn't get fired from my job at the Red Lobster singing in the bar, that I would still be there singing New York, New York and Evergreen. So... You know, I'll more. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, truly, I mean that's that's what happens in our lives that things happen and we could think they're devastating and oh my god, how could I have lost this job? This is all I know. This is yeah. my identity. Yes, you know. And I, I just, I truly believe that life is this zigzag path that, when you are able to listen and go into your heart and say, you know, what is, what is true for me? What lights me up? All that stuff. I mean, I was not supposed to be singing in a bar to five drunk people in the back. You know, I mean, it, it took me years, you know, to get to what I'm doing now, but it's like all the, all the disappointments that I thought, you know, wait, no, I, cause I mean, I started off as a singer songwriter in Los Angeles you know taking my little songs around to publishers and getting rejected but going i'm going to make it and i'm going to do this and i wasn't that was not who i was supposed to be and it just went through so many series of of disappointments and and new paths opening up that i had no idea about just like you Rachel that it's like it just I mean my this whole path that I'm on happened with a girlfriend who worked at a New Thought church just saying, "Hey, you know, can you come on Sunday? I have another job someplace. Can you come and sing a few happy songs?" I'm like, "I don't do church. I don't do New Thought stuff. I don't know what any of this is." And 20 years later, this is my life. But, you know, I I had to I had to let go. I had to let go of of what um, I thought was what my path was and trusted what the universe was showing me, you know? So I, I, I think it really comes down to listening, you know, listening and uh, allowing it to be.
3: You know, it's so interesting that a new beginning isn't actually new. It's usually going back to your, to, to, to your identity. Mm. which may be very different than what you think your identity is or what people told you you're supposed to be or what people respect even.
2: Yeah, I love the idea of the concept of like stripping away the onion. You know, it's like you just keep taking away those things. Or not even an onion. I like artichoke better because you get to the heart. (laughs) It's like you just keep (laughs) stripping away things until you get back to, yeah, who you are. This This is what you were supposed to do. I mean, look at what you've done in your life by... Making that choice. You know, you've brought the heart to medicine.
3: Well, you know, I had I had an actual experience of, of this kind of thing. Let me just share it with you. Um, I was part of this group of doctors, and we became what what I would now call a think tank, along with some really, really heavy-duty thinking people. I mean, people who were courageous in their ability to wonder about things, right? And um, about th- uh, three or four months into this, right, I began to have panic attacks. I mean, real panic attacks, awful, awful, awful. And so I went to the woman, Suki who was, um, and, and we were a research project. I mean, this was all being studied, the, the reaction of the doctors and with the, the process that we were in. And... And I told her I, I just couldn't go on. I was having these night sweats, and they were just awful. And I would have panic during the day, and I'd never had that before. And I was leaving. And she was uh, able to say to me, well, sure, of course you can leave, but not until you find out why you're what, what this is about. You don't want to leave until you find out what this is about, do you? And I wanted to leave now. Right? But I was embarrassed to say that I don't care what this is about. I'm out of here, right? So she says, well, why not wait? Just think about, let's let's do a little imagery. And imagery was something unheard of in the day. Close your eyes, allow an image to come for uh, what's going on for you. And I said, I've got one immediately. And with great certainty, you know, with the way you make a diagnosis, That's Crohn's disease, right? I've got the image, right? It is a long, flat, white rectangle. It's a business card, right? And she said, "Mm -hmm. Uh, well, I'd like you to just, you know, in the next few weeks, just call this thing to mind now and then and just sit with it. Let's find out what does it mean. I, I said, I have no idea. She says, just sit with it. And sort of listen to it. just And I, oh, my God, this is so woo-woo. This is ridiculous. But I said I would do it. I was embarrassed to say that I don't want to do this. Right? So I started hanging out with this image. And nothing happened for about three weeks. I'd, I'd sit down, and I'd, I'd look at it, and I'd wonder about it, and nothing happened. It was a business card. It was obvious. You could see it was a business card. The moment when I discovered what this was about, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was driving a shift car up one of the steepest hills in San Francisco. And I was so focused that, you know, I I couldn't, I had to be sure I didn't slide backward into the, the car behind me. And I'm completely occupied with my driving and getting up this almost vertical hill. And, um, Uh, Suddenly, the the image appears to me. There it is, except something's different. And as I watch, its shape is changing. It's getting a little shorter and a little fatter in the middle and a little shorter and a little fatter. And as that happens, as I see that, it's shape-changing. I have a panic attack, that is. I, I can hardly breathe. And I'm driving in the car, and I manage to pull over and park the car. And this overwhelming fear and panic and guilt, feelings of guilt, come over me. And I'm watching this thing, and suddenly I know what it is. It's me. It's me. It is, I have been a child of a cognitive, competitive, intellectual family. I've been told how to be a success in this world who I'm supposed to be, I've been squashed flat by the pressure of everyone around me in this other pattern, and that the the workshops that I was attending were causing this pressure to lift, and I was changing my shape. Mm. It was not my natural shape to be flat like that, to be intellectual and cold and rational. And as I watched this thing change, I knew exactly what it was. It was a marshmallow that had been under steady pressure from the moment it was born. And now it was going back to who it was. Right? It was me. And I thought I was dying. I wasn't dying. I was going home to myself. I never had another panic attack. Wow. Ah. And, you know, I think that a lot of new beginnings have to do with um, looking at familiar things and seeing them very differently.
2: Well, new Irish is very much part of this. I have a song about that. Yay, I hoped you had. <laughs> How about this? I am open. To the possibilities I am open To the possibilities Of a life That is meant To be lived By me and I don't have All the answers but I'm willing to take it slow and I believe that something is calling me where that path will lead I don't know but I am open to the possibility I am open To the possibilities Of a life Of a life that is meant That is meant to be lived To be lived by me There's an open road As far as my eyes can see will show me the way i love this line step by step through the mystery ah that mystery thing again i surrender i surrender every day so sing that with me now i am The possibilities to the possibilities. I am open. I am open to the possibilities to the possibilities of a life of a life that is meant to be lived by me. I am open. So some of the key words in that song and being open to the, not just the possibility, possibilities. There's so many possibilities when you, Mm -hmm. when you all of a sudden become a squishy marshmallow. It's like, you know, who, who am I to be? And I love the line of, you know, it's like being in the mystery, you know, you don't always know what it is, but it's trusting and surrendering to, okay, some path is going to present well you
3: know how often it is you're already on that path, isn't it? True. You? Yeah. And there? Um, it's, it's I love about having new eyes that you're already in the midst of a new beginning. And often you very, very commonly people decide what they're supposed to be rather than knowing something and following an inner compass. Yeah. And it's all about seeing differently. New eyes. I mean, you think about the people at the hospice.
2: Nothing changed except their eyes. Well, the <laughs> shift in perception. Yeah. 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 You know, Rachel, we have just about ten minutes left, but we want to just open it up. If anyone wants to make a comment or a question about what we've been talking about, I'll be looking at the chat here. Um, you know, let us know what you think about all this stuff, or or even more. You know what? What is kind of a new beginning for you that you want to even just put in the chat? Let us let us know what what's on your heart right now. I think the
3: interesting thing is how often people are immersed in a new fig- beginning and they don't see it or they they're not aware of it.
2: They, oh, that's a great they're one. They're
3: focused with their cognitive mind that they're supposed to be somebody else. Yeah. It's supposed to be somebody else. And, you know, the the, the the wisdom of living well is living the life that belongs to you.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so some of the things are coming in here of people talking about uh, beginnings, new beginnings, age of retirement. You know, I love the concept of retirement is you are re Tiring, <laughs>
1: right. right? It's
2: like putting on new tires. At 64, I keep seeing how the passions and places come together. That's great. The passions and the passions and pieces of her life is coming together.
3: You know, I'm going to be 85 in a minute. Right? I know. And I just turned 65. <laughs> and so many people have been talking to me about retirement and how, how it's seen by a lot of people. Now I can do what I want. Right now, now I can do the things that matter to me. Right? Yeah. So who did you have to ask for permission?
2: I think that's a great question. That's a really important question. You know? Yeah. It's like now, yeah, it's like society and everyone says, okay, now at this time, now you get to do what you want. But it's like, now, do it now. So I'm just reading some of these comments that people are saying. Someone's begun. Oh, I love this. Since, since the pandemic, she's gotten into painting. You know, I just think now I believe I'm an artist. It's never too late. That is for sure. Never too late. You know, I just truly believe. Oh, refirement. That's good, Deb. Thank you for saying that. Told re- retirement is really refirement. <laughs> light that light that passion. You know, light that flame that's already in you. You know, there's something so
3: important here about reclaiming the richness, the richness of your own life, rather than trying to create a life that somebody told you that you are supposed to have. And the new eyes concept, the voyage of discovery lives and seeking new vistas, having new eyes. Um, can I read you a quick story? Please. How many Please yeah, do tomorrow? that,
2: do that, and I'll just end with, okay. a, with a story. It's song.
3: called A Room with a View. Um, after completing the last treatment in a year of, of, of powerful chemotherapy, one of my clients went to San Francisco overnight with her husband to celebrate. Her oncologist had tried to discourage her from going. It seemed rather pointless to him as she was still too weak to see the sights, to go to restaurants, to participate in any of the fabled activities of this rich and complex city, San Francisco. He couldn't imagine why she might want to go. She couldn't do these things. So he had suggested she wait a few months until she got stronger. But she and her and her husband had gone anyway. And they stayed at a hotel. Afterwards, I asked her about it. It was wonderful, she said. First, we ordered room service. They brought it on a table with a cloth half an inch thick. My first meal without a tray. It was so elegant. The wine glasses and the butter carved into little flowers. And the food. We had this lovely room overlooking a little park. And we sat and ate real food that I could actually taste. In the nude. Then we made love. Then we took long, hot baths and used up all the towels in the bathroom. Great, big, thick towels. There were 12 of them. And then we used up all the delicious smelling things in the little bottles and watched both movies and ate most of what was in the refrigerator, the little refrigerator, and sat outside on the terrace in our bathrobes and saw the moon rise over the city. We found all the pillows that they hide in the dresser drawers and slept in this king-size bed with eight pillows and saw the sunrise. We used it all up. It was glorious, she said to me. A woman who spends most of her time in a hotel room asleep. Mm. And I wonder how many of us are asleep. Mm. Right? And that we all we have to do is give ourselves permission to be the people we are and not the people we're supposed to be because there may be something that governs the world that makes us exactly the right people to be alive in this moment. Yeah.
2: Hmm. You
3: got a song?
2: I do. I love, I love how this works because I had another song and now all of a sudden, no, I'm gonna, this is what I need to sing right now. I just love that. Just whatever pops in. I will surrender to my greatest, highest good. I will release any fear that blocks my way. For every step I take, is taken in pure faith. And I'm more loving every moment, every day. My mind is willing. That's one of the keys. My mind is willing, and my heart is open wide. I trust my instincts, and let spirit be my guide. I vow to live a life. That's real and pure and free. As I continue walking in this mystery. I will surrender to my greatest, highest good. I will release any fear that blocks my way. For every step I take will be taken in pure faith. And I am kinder every moment, every day. Now, there may be walls and there may be roadblocks in my way. But I can choose. I'll say that line again. I can choose. I'll say it one more time in case you didn't hear it. I can choose to take a higher path each day. And now I know that what I thought was safe And sound was only habit and regret that held me down. All right, sing with me out there in in the world. I will surrender to my greatest, highest good. I will release any fear that blocks my way. I will release any fear that blocks my way. For every step I take is taken in pure faith. For every step I take is taken in pure faith. And I'm more loving. And I'm more loving every moment, every day. And I am present. And I am present every moment, every day. I will surrender. I will surrender every moment, every day.
1: That's kind of it for me. I have to, like, every day,
2: just surrender. Okay? The path is here. Just walk. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, my goodness.
2: Oh, Rachel, it's so lovely to, to just hear your stories. And, you know, a few of the people here were saying, like, this one woman just said, or Craig said, he, he has a carried, worn-out copy of Kitchen Table Wisdom, he said, is just all, <laughs>
1: like, he just carries
2: us around. So thank you for reminding me of you know these wonderful stories that I have to go back and reread. So, mm-hmm. so Kira is with us now again. And uh yeah, so just a little plug of yeah, come back everyone. We you know, we're we're actually gonna retitle some of these to be let's talk about, you know, let's talk about love, let's talk about loneliness, let's talk about so next month is gonna be let's talk about love, all parts of it.
3: Yeah.
2: It's fun, it's fun for us because we get to just have juicy stuff to talk to each other about what we're going to talk about with you. So this is fun for us. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming everybody. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yes. Thank you so much, Rachel and Karen and all of you for coming. It's wonderful. Just so wonderful to have this kind of event and offer music and story. It's sort of a divergence for what we've done in the past. And it's just wonderful and permission not to be perfect. What a concept. (laughs) (laughs) Just a reminder, if you want to watch or rewatch or share this conversation with others, we'll have the recordings produced in about a week and you'll get an email when they're ready. uh, If you've signed up for this and registered. And if you're on the new school mailing list, you'll be notified when the recordings are posted also Or you can check Rachel or Karen's Facebook sites. Our website is tns.commonweal.org. Don't forget our next Music and Story event uh, with Rachel and Karen, February 14th. I hope you can join us. And another reminder, Karen has many other events and offerings, and you can find out more about those on her website, karendrucker.com. So much gratitude for all of you who are joining us. Thank you for being with us at the New School at Commonweal today. We'll see you next time.
0: You've been listening to a TNS presentation with Rachel Naomi Remen and Karen Drucker. Thank you for listening to TNS, the New School at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. Our theme music was performed by Debbie Daly. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C O M M O N W E A L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening.
2: Water
3: killed us.